title of the message tonight as we continue our study <coughs> through the book of 1 Samuel is the help of God in a time of trouble. Had I known what she was singing, I would have titled it, God will not fail me now. David, the soon-to-be king of Israel, has been in need of God's help ever since the women wrote a song about him in chapter 18 following when he killed Goliath that made him out to be a more successful warrior than King Saul. Saul has slain his thousands, the song said, but David his ten thousands. Chapter 18 and verse 9 says that after that song was written, Saul eyed David from that day and forward. He eyed him. He was after him. It started with several murder attempts through the throwing of a javelin at David's head. It eventually got so bad that David had to eventually flee the palace and leave his wife, Michael, and his best friend, Jonathan. By the time we get to 1 Samuel chapter 23, David has been on the run for four chapters. He went from the palace to Ramah to Nob to Gath to a cave in Adullam to Moab to the forest of Hereth. On paper, David should not be alive right now. On paper. Saul had more men. Saul had more intelligence networks. He had more power. He had more resources than David. Yet time after time after time, David escapes. How? Well, the key to David's survival so far has not been his sneakiness or his cleverness or his toughness, or his creativity. The key to David's survival has simply been God's presence in his life. Three times in chapter 18, when we started this journey with Saul following David and hunting David, three times in that chapter we read that God was with David. Meaning that God was present and God was powerful to act for David's good, no matter the opposition or the situation. So far, God has been David's divine helper. And chapter 23 is no different. David's going to find himself in yet another situation in which he can't get himself out. He needs help from heaven. And this chapter is going to show us that once again, God is with David because he acts for David's good by helping him in three different ways. Thankfully, the same ways he helped David in chapter 23 is the same ways he helps you and helps me in our times of trouble. By the way, if you find yourself in trouble, you need God to be with you. What we're going to do is study these three ways. The first is found in verses 1 through 14. The second is found in verses 15 through verse 18. The third is found in the latter part of the chapter. Let's read verses 1 through 14. You're going to need your Bible. I didn't put these verses on the screen tonight. I want us to follow along in Scripture. But I want your mind to be in it tonight. Then they told David, verse 1, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? <clears throat> and the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. And David's men said unto him, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we come to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? 
Then David inquired of the Lord yet again. You ever done that? Just need the devil check. The Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with the great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Go David. It came to pass and Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David to Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand and was told Saul that David was come to Keilah. And Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. And Saul called all the people together to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. We'll talk about what the ephod is in just a second. Then said David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant has certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then said David, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver thee up. That's bad news. Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose, departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah and he forbear to go forth. And David abode in the wilderness and strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. Here's the first way God helps us. God helps us by giving us access to his guidance. Study with me. David is hiding from King Saul somewhere in the forest of Hereth, according to chapter 22. He gets word from his intelligence that there was trouble in Keilah. The Philistines were raiding the farmers' threshing floors and taking off with their grain. This was both frustrating and it was life-threatening. It was frustrating because Keilah's farmers did all the work and the Philistines got all the goodies. It was life-threatening because no grain meant no bread and no bread meant no nourishment. There were, this was like a real-life emergency for this agricultural town. Thankfully, David's willing to encounter the Philistines and, and defend Keilah, but he knows he needs help, not just from his 600 men, but more importantly, the divine help of God. So he inquires of the Lord. What does that mean? He sought the Lord. He asked the Lord for, for guidance and instruction. The first time he did, the Lord told him clearly, go, go smite the Philistines. So David told his men, his men weren't very fond of the idea. They told David, in essence, men, we're doing good just to stay alive in Judah right now. Why go and invite danger on ourselves by taking a direct hit to the Philistines? That caused David to go back and double check his decision. Quiet the Lord the second time, the Lord gave him the same answer. And sure enough. He goes and risks the life of himself and his men to save the people of Keilah. Well, in the meanwhile, Saul's intelligence comes to him with the report of David's location. And this excited Paul reread it, Saul, because, because David was in Keilah, which was a fortified city, gates and walls, meaning that when Saul would, would, would penetrate that city, David would have no way out. And he thought, oh man, this is my chance to get David. Well, David has intelligence of his own. It's like a cat and mouse race here. Uh, chase, rather. When David got the word from his intelligence that Saul was coming, what did he do? He inquired of the Lord a third time. He asked the Lord two questions. First, is Saul coming my way? God said yes. Second, 
Will the men of Keilah turn their back on me and side with the king? And God said, yes, they will deliver you up to the king. Thanks to the Lord's clear guidance, David and his men were able to get out of Keilah safely before Saul was able to corner them. Now watch here. We can't overestimate how privileged David was to enjoy God's clear guidance in these verses. He asked the Lord for guidance and immediately the Lord gave it to him. My question is, how is that happening for David? Well, as I begin to study, I found that verse six of our text constitutes a, what I call a four-year information note from the narrators inspired by the Holy Spirit. Kind of explaining how it was that David would ask direction from Yahweh and get such clear guidance right on the spot. Look at verse six. And it came to pass when Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David to Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. Now, Abathar, if you remember, was the only priest in chapter 22 to survive the mass murder. Do you remember Saul's herdsman who was named Doeg? He was the only one that would kill Ahimelech and all the priests. But there was one priest that God spared, and it was Ahimelech's son, Abathar. And you got to know that verse 6 isn't a throwaway verse. And the detail about Abathar running with an ephod is not a throwaway detail. This is the actual verse that this whole section hinges on right here. Study with me. The priest and the ephod were both very instrumental when it came to David's access to God's guidance. The ephod was part of the priest's sacred wardrobe in the Old Testament. With the ephod came two objects called the Urim and the Thummim. These two objects were commonly, especially in Exodus, used by the priest in the Old Testament to answer a question or to reveal the will of God. So the detail about the priest and the ephod, watch here, it stands smack dab in the middle of verses 1 through 5 and verses 7 through 13. Verses 1 through 5 highlights how Keilah would be saved through David. Verses 7 through 13 highlights how David and his men would be saved from Saul. Leaving verse 6 as the center point. Everything hinges on Abathar the priest and his ephod escaping the, the mass murder of Doeg and making it all the way to, to, to Keilah with David. So it's becoming clear, is it not, that God was working in chapter 22 before David ever got in trouble in chapter 23? God spared one priest because he knew David would need his guidance in Keilah. A modern believer like you and me, now I'm going to get fired up here in a moment because this is incredible. A modern believer in 2021 might see that and think, well, that's nice and all, but I don't receive that kind of precise, direct guidance like David did. We don't have an ephod. We don't have a priest. I mean, come on, pastor, where's your ephod tonight? Well, I don't have that kind of clear guidance either like that. You know why? I don't need it. Why? One, number one, I'm not the chosen king. It does my ego tonight no damage to concede that David's function in salvation history is far more important and crucial than mine. But in principle, there is no difference between this elect king and myself. Think about it. In what context was Yahweh's guidance given? 
Was it not an access to God through the appointed priest? And is not that the privilege that you and I enjoy as believers? Through a much greater high priest than Abathar? Doesn't Hebrews 4 say this? Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. I like this. Find grace to, what's the next word? Help. Find grace to help in time of need. Like David had access to, to God's guidance through Abathar. Hey, we have access to God's guidance through Jesus Christ. Like God foresaw that David would need guidance and provided it through an ephod. He foresaw over 2,000 years ago that we would need his guidance. And he provided us access, not through an ephod, but through a cross. Pastor Tony Evans tells a story about his son, Anthony. Anthony was his oldest son. He was named after his dad. So his actual name was Anthony Evans Jr. The story says that Anthony Evans Sr. went to pick up his son Anthony Jr. from the airport. He noticed that his son, shockingly, was a third one off the plane. This perplexed him because he knew his son didn't have the money to fly first class. So he immediately turned to Anthony and said, oh, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Young Anthony started laughing because he knew his dad had figured out exactly what he had done. His dad's speaking schedule around the country had earned him the status of frequent flyer. And with that came certain benefits and privileges, one of which was flying first class. Since Anthony had his dad's name, he decided to use it to help himself to his dad's first class privilege. He's a man after my own heart. That's funny and all, but I got good news. If you're a child of the king tonight, you've been given a greater privilege and a much greater access than first class seats on a jumbo jet. You've been given access through Jesus, the son of God, the great high priest to the very throne room of God. That is a real first class seat. That means every time you find yourself in trouble like David did, you have instant and direct access to inquire of the Lord. When you face a situation in your family and you don't know what to do, you have access to God's guidance. When you face a situation at work and you don't know what to do, you have access to God's guidance. When you face a situation with your health or with your finances or in your marriage and you just don't know what to do or where to turn or what step to take next, hey, you have access to God's guidance. God knew that you would face troubling and perplexing times that would leave you with a lot of questions. So over 2,000 years ago, he provided help for every question you face in life. His son died on the cross. He shed his blood as the final sacrifice for sin. He rent the veil of the temple in twain from the top to the bottom. And he brought in a new and living way for you to access God. So when you have a question, when you need help in time of trouble, you don't have to go to a priest. Somebody say amen to that. You don't have to travel to a temple. You don't have to sacrifice a lamb. All you have to do is humble yourself in prayer. And while you won't hear from God audibly like David did, 
He's been gracious enough to preserve his word as a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. What does that mean? It means when you pray and you inquire of God's guidance for your situation, you should immediately pick up the Bible. God's not going to send his guidance by way of some billboard on the road or an airplane flying over your house or a fuzzy feeling inside of you. He's already given his map for your life. And it's sufficient to guide you through any and every troubling situation that you find yourself in. If you're thankful for the Bible and for the avenue of prayer, say amen tonight. God helps us, number one, by granting us access to his guidance. The story continues in verse 14. And David abode in the wilderness. This is after he fled Keilah. He abode in strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose, went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, fear not, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find thee. And thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. And that also Saul, my father, knoweth. And they too made a covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood and Jonathan went to his house. God helps us, number two, through the encouragement of a friend. It's amazing to me how the verses mention that Saul sought King, soon to be King David every day, but couldn't find him. Yet Jonathan, Saul's own son and David's best friend could find him rather easily. Why? Because Jonathan was sent by God. When you're sent by God, God will get you where you're going. The text says that Jonathan found David for one purpose, to strengthen his hand in God. That means more than to shake his hand. It means to encourage him in the Lord. Did you notice how Jonathan encouraged him? By reaffirming God's promises to him. Watch here, God, Jonathan wasn't there to just offer the encouragement of his presence, though that would have been helpful to David. Sometimes all our friends need is just us to listen. But this time, Jonathan encouraged him mostly through the promises of God, reassuring David of God's plan to make him the king of Israel. And with that promise came God's divine protection of David. I think that's what David needed to hear. I mean, this is, we're like four chapters in to David's head being hunted by a very powerful man and a very powerful army in the Israelites. And you got to think after he after he worked hard to save Keilah and they turned their back on him and he got ran into the middle of the woods somewhere and he had to set up a stronghold and he's hiding again, scared again, uncomfortable again, cold again. It's dark again. You got to know that he's doubting. God, are you sure you got this right? Am I really your anointed king? Are you sure that, 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 that you're going to protect me? Because it doesn't really feel like it. And Jonathan there to remind David of what David already knew. I'm not talking about, about giving him trite statements and overused cliches just because there's nothing else to say. And Jonathan was awkward when silence came. I'm talking about a God sent friend to remind David of his promises in his life. You know, sometimes we just need someone to tell us that it's going to be okay. Based on Lamentations chapter 3, God is faithful and his mercies are new every morning. 
Sometimes we just need someone to remind us through Hebrews 13, 6, that we don't have to fear men because God is our helper. The verse says, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Sometimes we just need someone to come and remind us of the promise that God hears us when we pray. From Psalms 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me. Sometimes we just need someone to remind us through Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26 that if God cares enough about the birds to take good care of them, then he will take real good care of us because he likes us more than he likes the birds. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Sometimes we just need someone to remind us through Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 that quitting's not really an option in the Christian life because if you in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Hey, I could go on, but you get the point. God often helps us by sending us a Jonathan to not just be with us, but to remind us of God's promises for our life. Man, I'd be amiss if I didn't stop here and say, that we don't just need a Jonathan in our life during troubling times, but we need to be a Jonathan to others during their troubling times. You know where that starts? It starts with being sensitive and discerning of, of those around you that have needs. Hey, you never know when, when God is going to divinely use you to be an encouragement in somebody's life. So you have to be mindful and looking for those opportunities. Top of that, you've got to be a man and a woman of the word if you're going to be a Jonathan. You have to have some spiritual depth. You've got to know the promises of God if you're going to encourage somebody with the promises of God. People don't need to hear what you read in the last self-help book. They don't need some cliche that you read on a bumper sticker when you were a teenager on Facebook post yesterday. They need the encouragement of God's word in their life. You need to know God's word and have God's word internalized in such a way that you can literally recall a promise of God in the moment to pass along to a troubled friend. I want to challenge you tomorrow. Send a text message that encourages somebody. I want to challenge you this week. Write a handwritten note to encourage somebody. Take somebody to lunch this week. Call somebody. Email somebody. Whatever it takes, be an encourager. Something that really sticks out here. Study with me for a moment. It's not just that God sent the right person, Jonathan, with the right word, God's promises, but also the timing of when God sent Jonathan. Consider this. In the first 13 verses of our story, Keilah turned their back on David, even though he risked his life to save them from the Philistines. We didn't read it, but in verses 19 through 20, after David left Jonathan, another group of people called the Ziphites that should have had David's back turned on him and told Saul of David's location. So on one side, he's got people that he helped betray him. On the other side, He's got people who were part of his tribal territory, the Ziphites of Judah. They betray him. And between the betrayal of Keilah and Ziph, he's got a Jonathan. Right there in the middle, a friend. Jonathan, the one who had every reason to betray David because David's assuming his position on the kingdom. But the one who never has betrayed David and the one who never would. Are you getting this tonight? God's help is often more specific than just sending the right person with the right word. God, God often sends the right person with the right word. Hey, at just the right time. 
sometimes sandwiched between betrayal and sandwiched between tragedy and sandwiched between some really difficult decisions. Solomon says in, in Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. In other words, the right word at the right time from the right person is beautiful. And something so beautiful and something so timely can only be attributed to God. Hey, has he ever done that for you? You needed a Jonathan. You were surrounded by discouragement. You were surrounded by betrayal. You were surrounded by disappointment. You were surrounded by injustice. You were surrounded by stress on both sides. And God sent a sermon. And God sent a text message. And God sent a song. And God sent a verse. And God sent a friend with just the right thing to say to help you through a time of trouble. Hey, that's our God. That's how he helps us. Boy, never take the Jonathans in your life for granted. And never miss an opportunity to be one. He grants us access to his guidance through our great high priest, Jesus. He gives us an encouragement to those friends in our life. There's one more way that God helps us. That's found in how the story ends. Jump down to verse 25. Saul also and his men went to seek him and they told David. Wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on this side of the mountain and David and his men on that side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul. For Saul and his men compassed David, surrounded him and his men round about to take them. Do you see how this is a cat and mouse game? Saul's here, David's here. Saul comes here, David goes there. Well, finally Saul figured it out. And somehow he gets David trapped. Literally, it's time. Finally, he's got him where he wants him. But notice what God did. He stepped in. Verse 27, but there came a messenger unto Saul. You think that was an accident? He said, haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned for pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, they called that place some fancy Hebrew name. Look it up on YouTube. Selah Hamalalakov. Thank you. Thank you. God, watch it. Divinely intervened through a work of providence. Did you catch the last phrase of verse 26? It says David can't find a way out. But the first, verse of verse, first phrase of verse 27 says that God sent a messenger to distract Saul so David could have a way out. <laughs> It's amazing. He had to put aside his personal differences and his personal agenda because he had to go be king for a second. I read about a prayer of a Scottish man by the name of Alexander Peden. I think he was a, a priest, actually. Says that he and some others were being pursued by enemy soldiers. So they stopped for a second and they prayed this prayer. Lord, this is the hour and the power of thine enemies. They may not be idle, but hast thou no other work for them than to send after us? Send them after them to whom thou will give strength to flee, for our strength is gone. The story says that the Lord sent a cloud of mitts, a fog, 
between Alexander and those soldiers to where they couldn't find him. It's exactly what happened here. Alexander prayed, hast thou no other work for them than to send after us? In David's case, God had other work for Saul to do. So he sent a messenger to stand between Saul and David. And here's the last thought. God helps us through the work of his providence. One commentator described God's providence in 1 Samuel 23 this way, and I love it. The strange ways God keeps his people on their feet. Did you catch that? The strange ways, unexpected ways, seemingly weird ways that God takes care of us. I love that definition. Because God's providential work in our life, it can be unexplainable sometimes. And yes, even strange. Now consider how this text lays out. In in the first six verses, David is an unexpected savior, is he not? Keilah is supposed to be saved by the king, Saul. That's not David's job. That's King Saul's army's job. But instead, it's David that was the savior. Fast forward to the last set of verses and the Philistines are the unexpected saviors. Are you getting this? God caused the Philistines to invade the land. That's David's enemy. So that Saul, David's enemy, would have to leave David to attend to them. In verse 1 through 6, the Philistines are, are the enemy. But in verses 27 through 28, they've become the savior. And that's exactly how we know it was a providential work of God because it was something that we could have never anticipated. If this was a movie, we would have leaned over and told our spouse, Saul's about to get him. It would have been predictable, like a Marvel film. But then God steps in and does his God-like thing. The good news is that David isn't the only one that benefits from God's providential help. Hello. We do too. In fact, I bet there's some pretty awesome stories in here tonight of how God has intervened in your life in almost strange and unexpected ways to bring you to the point that you are right now. So strange that the only one that can get credit is the Lord. I bet you if we passed a microphone around here, we would have some pretty strange stories of how God brought some people in here to salvation. Some pretty windy paths. Not everybody has a clean story like me where I get saved as a seven-year-old preacher's kid at the edge of my dad's bed. That's pretty normal. That's like the poster child, right? But some of you didn't happen that way. It's amazing how some of you escaped hell. There's stories of how God has unexpectedly healed some of your bodies. When the doctor said you were were done for, God said, nope. When the doctor said, I'll give you this amount of time to live, God said, nope. When the doctor said this, God said that. Stories you could tell of how God, not you, not your cleverness, not your creativity, not your intuition. Not your knowledge of the situation, but God got you out of a sticky situation. And you look back now and say, had it not been for God's intervention. Stories of how God has provided for you in a crazy way during a time of need. I hear stories of how God's people struggle to tithe and they start tithing and then they come up with all these crazy stories. Crazy, not because they're untrue. Crazy, they're just unexpected. 
That's how God works. How am I going to pay this bill? God somehow takes care of it. I remember 2015, my wife was laid up in the hospital in Castle Rock, Colorado for some 40 days. I was on my way back. I came back here to Liberal to, it was right around Liberty time. and We hadn't decided if we're going to have Liberty or not. So I was hustling back for a rehearsal. It was in June. <clears throat> and, and, and I got a call from my mother-in-law um, right after the service that, that said, um, Jenny's not doing good at all. You, I think you need to come back. And so they thought that maybe her, her blood was getting infected and all of that. They're going to try to move her to ICU maybe. And so I, I jump in, a, in, a, in our car and my mom's in there and we've got Kevin in the back seat and we're hustling back to Castle Rock. We're about three quarters of the way there and Darlene calls me again and she's, she's, I can tell she's kind of panicking a little bit. And she says, they just took Jenny back for surgery. I said, what? She's already had two surgeries. What, what's wrong now? And she said, well, her esophagus tore. And she had one of those, I don't know what you call them, you nurses can help me, the tubes that go out of your, you know, through your nose down into your belly. They're just gross. That's all I know. Um, and, and she had one of those suckers going on. And it filled up with blood. And, and, and get this, a nurse came in and saw it and said, this isn't okay. Hold on just a second. And the nurse walked out. And when she walked out, she bumped into the only surgeon that hospital had to perform this emergency surgery on that floor outside of her room. And he came in and said, we got 30 minutes to get her operated. We need to do it quick. And sure enough, her esophagus had tore from who knows what. That's God's providence. Are you kidding me? No one can take credit for that. But the God in heaven, has something like that ever happened in your life? You're in a time of trouble. You're surrounded on every side. And God comes through. That's our God. Hey, he might not end your trouble right away. My wife's trouble didn't go away. David's trouble didn't go away temporarily, but 24 is about to come. God might not take your trial away forever, but you know what he'll do? He'll pull just the right strings at just the right time to get you through the next day. Get you through the next challenge. Get you through the next decision. Get you through the next doctor's appointment. Get you through the next job interview. Get you through the very next the next step. You can trust God because God is your helper. Yeah. Everybody turn to Psalms chapter 54. We'll be done. I love God's word, don't you? It's amazing to me. Sometimes we read the Old Testament and we read it like a storybook, but that doesn't apply to us. I hope you've learned tonight the Old Testament is real and alive. It does apply to us. Psalms 54. The heading of this psalm reads this, the Lord's deliverance to the chief musician on some Hebrew name, a psalm of David. Watch when the Zithims came and said to Saul, doth not David hide himself with us? That is exactly what happened in 1 Samuel 23. It's, it's, it's the people of Ziph that turned their back on David. So David, I don't know how, how, how many years after 1 Samuel 23 took place. 
But David was in a quiet place all by himself with a pen. And he decided to write a song that they included in Israel's hymn book based on the experience that I just preached on. And here's the song. Save me, O God, by thy name. And judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me. And oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is mine. What's the next word? Helper. The Lord is with them that hold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble. And mine eye has seen his desire upon his enemies. Months, years, maybe decades later, David looked back at 1 Samuel chapter 23 and came to this conclusion. God is a mighty good helper in the day of trouble. That's the thesis of that song right there. God is a mighty good helper in the day of trouble. I think you should respond to the message in one of two ways. Maybe you need help tonight. You know you do. You know that you're not in a situation just like David. But trouble is surrounding you. Maybe not any trouble that, that, that would make its way into the pages of Scripture. But it's very real in your life. If that's the case for you, listen to me. You have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. Could I invite you to an altar tonight to inquire of the Lord? David did it three times. Come inquire of God tonight. God, which way do I go? What decision do I make? What prayer do I even pray next? What do I say? Whatever you're facing. Some of you might not be in that kind of situation. Beware, you will be soon. But if you aren't, I want to challenge you to think back to a time, just a singular time, just like I did back in Castle Rock, Colorado in 2015. I want you to think back to a singular time when God providentially worked on your behalf. Brought you to where you are today. He encouraged you through a friend to get you the next step along. I just want you to come and say, thank you, Lord. David wrote a song about it. The least we can do is just come and bow a knee. And say, thank you for being what you've been to me. You have been my helper my entire life. And sometimes I take it for granted and I won't do that tonight. Thank you for being my helper in a time of trouble. Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye.